Uh, this morning we're looking at this Bible story um, that uh, Elizabeth read to us, uh, the story of the prodigal son, considered to be one of the most precious stories that Jesus uh, told. Charles Dickens called it the greatest story ever told. It's no wonder that it's inspired people like Rembrandt and uh, others to, uh, to depict it in art, and it's inspired other people to write music and poetry and plays to retell it. Uh, and the story of the prodigal t- son captures so much of the essence of our Christian faith. It's a story that sums up the central message of the whole of the New Testament. It's a, 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 the gospel in a nutshell. But it doesn't stand on its own. It's the third in a trilogy of stories that Jesus tells, the first two being the missing sheep and the lost coin. And to understand the story of the prodigal son, we have to understand the context in which it is told. Otherwise, we miss its true meaning. So you have to go back to the beginning of chapter 15. And uh, the first two verses are crucial. It says this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. So the context is this. He's gathered around him. uh, It says... Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. It's lovely that he places the tax collectors in that bracket. I'm not quite sure why. Mainly, I think, because then tax collectors all were on the fiddle and they skimmed off the top. Unlike tax collectors today, of course, are not on the fiddle. We pray. So that they, they, uh, they were added in with other notorious sinners. Who, who were those notorious sinners? Well, they would have been the people that Jesus would have included all the time in his ministry that was gathering around him. I suspect it included, included thieves and prostitutes and, and others who were really struggling to make life work. And so we're finding uh, other forms of living, which probably weren't the best forms of living that one could find. But he gathered those around him. They were the ones that were listening And also, there were this second crowd listening. This is really important to understand this parable this morning. The second crowd were the Pharisees, the self-righteous, nose-in-the-air, we're-okay people. The ones who were already in, they felt. The ones who already counted. The ones who could look down on others. So he's got these two groups. And one group, the Pharisees, We're already looking down on the others and going, why is Jesus mixing with them? He even eats with them. He's talking with them. We don't want to be um, affected by them. We don't want our lives to be tainted by them. But but Jesus was very different, wasn't it? He, He went out and he said, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I include you. I count you. You count. You're 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 worth visiting. You're important to me. You're important to our Heavenly Father. You're important uh, in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus um, describes himself uh, in these uh, stories. And he goes on to tell them a story. And the first story he says, he says, look, 
a shepherd had 99, had 100 sheep and, and one of them wandered off. And maybe at that moment he was looking at the Pharisees. He said, a shepherd had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered off and went wrong. And he left the 99. He said, you're okay. And he went off to search for the one whose life had really fallen low, whose, whose life had started to fall apart, who, who, who'd, who'd in some way taken a wrong turn and, and things weren't working out. And the shepherd went to search for the one that was really uh, important to him. And the Pharisees listening, probably looking with disdain on these tax collectors and uh, other notorious sinners, didn't really get it. Uh, they were listening and they said, yeah, yeah but you've, you've come for us. If you're the Messiah, you're, you're part of the religious community. You're not part of that community. And Jesus is saying, well, well actually, hold on. The, 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 I came for the, the one, the one that still needs finding. And, and they, they didn't quite get it. And so he told them another story. He says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. She's lost something really precious to her. So she will search and search until she finds it. And when she finds it, she'll say, rejoice with me. I've lost, I've found that that was lost. And Jesus has this line at the end. He says, and in the same way, Jesus says, there'll be joy in the presence of God's angels when even one person who's taken a wrong turning, one sinner, one whose life has fallen the wrong way, repents and returns back to me. Pharisees looking on and listening, the tax collectors, prostitutes and thieves and others who would have been included listening to that story. And maybe Jesus looked at their eyes and thought, they still don't get it. They still don't get it. So he goes on to tell them a third story. And that's the story we're going to look at today. But it's important you know the other two because I'm going to refer back to them. And this story that we have today has three main characters in it. It has the Father, the Father representing our Heavenly Father. It has in it a son, a son whose life has taken a wrong turn, who chooses, makes some wrong decisions, who, who uh, loses his way. And it has another son, a son who stays at home and obeys all the rules and does the righteous thing. And the story has those three main characters. So let's have a look at the story together and see what we can learn from it today. It begins, a man has two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. In effect, the boy is saying this. He's saying, I don't want to wait around for you to die in order to get what is ultimately going to come, in, come to me at the end, Dad. And since you haven't died soon enough to suit me, what I really want you to do is divide the inheritance now. And the fall of the prodigal began at that moment when he claimed his rights. When he separated his interests from the greater interests of the family. 
when he lost that sense of perspective that actually I'm not here just for myself. He, he thought, it's all about me. It's about me claiming my rights, getting what's due to me, going and spending it on myself, finding a new way of living, just discovering life as there is. And I think that's the moment that his life went wrong, when he lost perspective, when he forgot, actually, that we all throughout life live with a responsibility to do something for society, for the greater good, for the wider family. We have responsibilities. And responsibilities are actually great things. They keep us focused in the right way. It's almost as though there was a restlessness within the first son in the story. And he says he doesn't want to stay at home and fulfill his responsibilities. He wants to go and do his own thing. And as he grew restless in his thinking, then perhaps he grew restless in his imagination. And he could imagine life without home. He wished his life were different. I could have a bigger circle of friends, he thought. It's a bit pedestrian here with my father. I could get a bigger house for myself and do my own thing. I could be my own boss and be footloose and fancy free. And amazingly, the father allows the son to leave. It is extraordinary, isn't it, when children are at home and they get to those older teenage years, how, uh, you know, uh, home possibly isn't always quite the place they want to be and we don't always do things in quite the way they'd like it done. As soon as they go off to uni or work and come back, they go, this is great. You know, food is put on the table. It's marvelous food. I didn't have to cook it or buy it or shop for it or anything else. I have a bed to sleep in and it's got sheets. You know, it's marvelous. You know, there's heating and I don't have to pay the bill. You know, all of a sudden their perspective changes. But, 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 but this young man, he'd, he'd not left and, and his perspective was, there's something bigger and better for me um, out there. And amazingly, the father allows the son to leave. You know, sometimes I think the worst thing that God could do would be to say yes to some of our prayers. Lord, I want a bigger house. We need a bigger, another bedroom. We need a nicer car. We want a this, we want a that. Lord, I want the next promotion. I want this, I want that. Do you know, it might be the worst thing in the world for you. Perhaps sometimes, sometimes, God saying no is just the right thing. Because it keeps you rooted. It keeps you where you are. It makes you stable. It keeps things in perspective. So for the next few verses, we witness the results of the son's uh, rebellion against his father, against his family, and against his responsibilities. He leaves for this faraway country, this place that perhaps exists in his heart, maybe exists in our hearts. I wish it were different. Do you know that exists in the hearts of so many people? I wish it were different in my marriage. I wish it were different in my work. I wish it were different in my family. I wish it were different with my friends. I wish it were different with my finances. And all of a sudden, we're, we're leaving home. 
We're leaving our responsibilities. We're leaving the things that really matter and count, and we're going somewhere else. And, and what begins up here can travel to here. And if it reaches our feet, people do stupid things. Because we wish something else. And as soon as you begin to imagine it, you begin to live it. You step towards it. And, and damage happens. So often in our society, because of that, like so many people, his happiness is conditional upon his circumstances. He wasn't content with his situation. Oh, gosh. Isn't that a huge thing? Contentment. Content with what we've got. Content with what's around us. Content with the fact that we've, you know, the, the feeling that, that um, well, the feeling that, you know, maybe my son had when he first came back from university at Christmas. This is great. I can just put my washing here. It's done and it reappears, you know. This house is so good to live in. Contentment. We can lose sight of that contentment all too easily in life. We start moving away up here. I imagine it will be different. And then we start wishing for it here. I think it really could be. The fatal thing is that when it reaches our feet and someone says, I'm going to move away from it. And sadly, that's what the boy in this story did. He moved away, and it says this, a few days later, this young son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. He became enslaved by the empty dream he was following. He'd learnt the hard way. We can't enjoy the things money can buy if we ignore the things money cannot buy. We think it'll be all right if we had a little bit more. And we forget to think, Actually, it's okay now. It's okay now. We don't need to go anywhere else. We just need to find that little area of contentment with what we have. You know, we have a, we, we have a, a car maybe, and it might not be a new shiny car, and it, you know, it might not be the color you want, but it's a car, and it drives okay, and it's safe. Uh, we have a house. It might not be the extortionate-sized house you once dreamt of when you were dreaming you'd be a prince and she'd be a princess. But it's a house. And it's got carpet on the floor and radiators on the walls and food in the cupboards. And we can grow up as a family in it and it's a great place. We've even got enough in the bank to go on holiday and to treat ourselves. And sometimes we could go out for a meal. Do you know there's so much we could be content with? Just, just to have that perspective of looking at what we've got. We can't enjoy the things money cannot buy, can buy if we ignore the things that money cannot buy. What can't money buy? Do you know money can't buy your family? It can't buy your marriage. 
It can't buy your friends. It can't buy a contented heart. It can't buy a satisfied life. It can't buy a community. We think, oh, well, just this will make it better. It, it really won't. Maybe those who are listening, the, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the thieves, the notorious sinners, maybe at this point their ears were pricked up and they thought, do you know I've been searching for this dream all my life and look at me. I haven't quite made it. I, I'm spending my whole life struggling for this and I, I haven't quite made it. Maybe at this point they thought, well, maybe he's speaking to us. Maybe the Pharisees at this point were thinking he's speaking to them. You know, this is who he's speaking to. They've gone off and gone wrong. It's a dreadful thing. Wasted their money. And then Jesus offers this incredible opportunity. He says this, verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, this is the boy, do you know at home, even the hired servants had enough food to spare? Your teenagers one day will say, do you know, even at home, there's a washing machine that works. Even at home, you know, there's food that's put on the table. Even at home, it's okay. And here I am, he says, dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And it says that, it says that the prodigal came to his senses. He realized that life wasn't as it should have been. He has to turn to the very person or the people that he, who he rejected. Now we're going to go on and look at the Father in a minute or so, but what's so incredible in all of this is that's so often true in our lives, isn't it? We can hurt someone because we think we can live a different way, we can get it right, we've got a different thing in our heads, and then we realize actually that's not true. And the biggest journey is the journey that goes back and says, I'm sorry I've blown this. I'm sorry I got this out of perspective. I'm sorry I got this wrong. Will you consider forgiving me? Maybe we reject a certain way of life. Maybe we've rejected God. Maybe you think, I'm not even sure about all of this. Maybe you're here in church today because someone's persuaded you to be here. Maybe someone said, I'll break your arms if you don't come to church with me. Or maybe someone said, please, just come once. Mark's a really good speaker. No, they wouldn't have said that. That's why I say it. I realize that. I realize that. I realize that. And maybe you'll say, I, I don't even know about all this God stuff. You know, this is what the boy was like that Jesus is describing. Maybe that was what he was saying to the notorious sinners. You may be unsure about all of this. But do you realize that your road to redemption is to turn back and return to the Father? Did you know that for every single one in this room this morning, our Heavenly Father stands with his arms stretched out? Like the Father in this story, he stands on his balcony, searching in the distance, waiting for your heart to return to him. And he says, it doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is where you end up. What matters is how you make the most of the rest of your life. What matters is the second half. What matters is the landing. What matters 
is how we work together. You know, forgiveness is at the very heart of the Christian message. And this son came back and found forgiveness. The son realized he'd ended up lost. He'd left home probably pretty confident in who he was with his head held high. He'd left home with a sense of adventure, of a feeling that he could do something. I've got money in the bank. I've got an education behind me. It's all there for me to take so I can embrace this world that's out there. Take it on. But he soon realizes it's not like that. The world can be a pretty cruel place, actually, at times. And although... He left home with a fairly positive self-image. He realizes that he's perhaps not as great as he thought he was. And maybe he got things out of perspective. And he thinks back to his father and he thinks, Do you know, he modeled something that now seems terribly attractive. He, he didn't model a looking after himself. He actually modeled a caring for us. He actually modeled good stewardship. He actually modeled a good employer. He actually modeled a generosity. He actually modeled a heart of welcome. He, he modeled everything that I've not found here. So now the penitent son comes back to the father and it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him com- uh, coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, do you know I've sinned both in heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, 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 bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, kill the fatted calf, kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, but has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. And so the party began. And the shepherd found the one sheep and said, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. And the woman found the lost coin. And she said, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost coin. And the father says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost son. The son comes confessing his sin, offering no excuses, and realizing how well his father had treated his servants. He turns from his sin, his wayward life, and he turns towards home. His eyes are now open to where real life can be found. It seemed unlikely to him that his father would allow him to return even as a servant. He was unsure of the reception that he would get. And I know this is an old story and you will know this well, but I want to read you a letter that illustrates this welcome home. Um, It's the story of a young man uh, whose life went wrong, who uh, ended up... uh, uh, addicted to alcohol and drugs and covered in piercings and tattoos and reaches the bottom of the barrel. And uh, uh, finally, one morning, uh, covered in his own vomit and urine, wakes up and thinks, I've got to go home. So he sends a letter to his parents. And he says, "I've, I've not bought my next fix. I've spent it on a train ticket home. My train leaves in two days. And I know that from the train, I can see our back garden. And he writes this. Dear mum and dad, I've sinned deeply against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And there's no reason for you to love me or welcome me back. I'm at the bottom of the barrel, but I need to come back home. And I hope that you would welcome me. 
I've been given a train ticket to get back home, and you know that the train track runs past the bottom of the garden. Well, if you want me to come home, please would you hang a white towel on the clothesline in the back garden. If there's no towel on the line when I ride past, then I'll understand that it's not right for me to return home. The young man sent the letter and two days later got on the train and started heading back home. As he came closer and closer, he became more nervous and started pacing up and down the train. He asked the person sitting next to him if he would look for him. He said, I cannot bear to look to see if the garden has a towel hanging on the line or not. In a moment, we're going to pass the house. He said, I've lived this dreadful life. I've hurt my parents incredibly. And he explained about the white towel on the clothesline. He said, if they want me to come back, I know it sounds peculiar, but a towel will be hanging on the line. Would you look for me as the train drew closer? The man said, look, 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 open your eyes. And the whole clothesline was covered in white towels. The tree in the garden was covered in white sheets. The back of the house was draped with white sheets. The shed had white sheets covering it all. Such was the love the mother and father had for their son and wanted him back home. I think that is the sort of welcome that our Heavenly Father wants to give to us. And and the thieves and the prostitutes and the alcoholics and the down and outs as they were sitting there, they'd have been listening going, this is for us. Jesus is saying, there's a way back. There's a way back. And, And I think the the, the, the Pharisees, perhaps at that moment, were thinking he's trying to include them. But he hasn't included us. But then Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He includes the third person in the story. The eldest and firstborn son is informed of his brother's return, and he is furious and feels betrayed by his father. Where were we at the beginning of this passage? That's what it said at the beginning. The Pharisees were furious that Jesus was sitting and eating with notorious sinners and tax collectors. And the elder son is furious that the younger son is included. I'll let you make the calculation as to who Jesus might be speaking to at this moment. And the older son bitterly complains that mercy has been wrongly granted to his younger brother. He rebukes his father. This son of yours, he says. He doesn't even say my brother. This son of yours, who's devoured your wealth. He's tried to break up our home. And yet you welcome him with open arms. And I think at this moment, the Pharisees would have perked up their ears. I think that Jesus was saying, this is you guys. You care little about those who are caught in difficulty or with problems in life. You care little about those who need a leg up. You're so concerned with your self-righteousness. I want to put a little advert in here. We've got Vision Night coming up on the 7th of February. This is why we as a church have such an outward focus of justice, even in our community. This is why, for us, it's really important that we're involved helping run the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Choices. This is why, for us as a church, it's really important we're helping to run the soup kitchen for the homeless. 
This is why for us as a church it's really important that we've got someone paid to go into Wormwood Scrubs and work with the prisoners who at some point in their lives have taken a wrong turn. I don't know where Ray Elliott's up to with that, but I know he's got at least three church pastors out of those prisoners that he's been working with who are now leading churches. They took a wrong turn somewhere. And at some point, Ray said to them, there's a way back. There's a way back. There's a different way to live. And, and we as a church have helped fund them through their theology degree while they've been in Wormwood Scrubs. And they've left to plant churches. And they're leading churches. I just think that's fantastic. That's why we as a church are involved in the Beeson ministry. Every van run that goes out. Richard was, I think it was Richard telling me, someone was telling me this morning. Uh, Steve Weaver was telling me this morning, he did the van run on Thursday evening. He said we delivered a, some wardrobes to a single mum with eight little children whose husband had walked out on her. Delivering wardrobes to help equip that family. I was, someone didn't turn up to do creche at the 9.15, so I was doing creche with Steve Weaver. It was great fun. We just chatted for half an hour with three boys who were terribly happy throwing cars at each other. It was marvellous. That's why we do it. That's why we go out. That's why we go out to that single mum and we go, we'll love you. We'll help you. We'll provide for you because I certainly don't want to lead a church to feel self-righteous. I don't want to lead a church where we think we've got it all right, where we know everything because we don't. But we'll be a church family that says, we'll reach out in every way, shape and form we can and we will put resources and energy and effort and time behind it to help those who are broken and gone wrong in life to give them a leg up. For there but by the grace of God go each and every one of us in our lives. But the older brother had done the right thing, hadn't he? He'd remained at home, staying out of trouble and obeying the rules. Outwardly, he was completely compliant to his father's will. But inwardly, hey, he was far from home. He'd lost the plot. He'd lost connection with the message of the gospel. He would have stayed safe in the sheep pen. He wouldn't have gone out looking for the lost sheep. He'd have forgotten the silver coin. He'd have said, look, we've got nine others. Let's forget that one. He was home, but not home. And this parable is really about two prodigal sons. And the two different audiences that Jesus is addressing. The tax collectors and the notorious sinners who connected with the younger son. Gosh, maybe that's us. And we've gone wrong somewhere in life. And Jesus is saying there's a way back. And the second prodigal is the, is, the, is the son who stayed at home. And Jesus, through the three stories, is saying, come on, come on. This isn't how to live. How to live is to open your eyes and open your hearts and turn to those in need and go, let's pour our lives out. Let's live with us, be content with what we've got. And through our lives reach out with that responsibility we have to those most in need. You can be lost wherever you are. You can be lost outside the church. You can be lost inside the church. But the same message rings true 
Jesus wants us to come home to the kingdom of God. Because it's not about the church. If it was about the church, we may as well pack up and go home. It's about our Savior Jesus, who says this is a different way to live. The way to live is a way to be content with what we've got, pour out of what we've got into other people's lives. The key to this passage is the father. The father chooses to forgive. He forgives the younger son. He stretches out a hand to forgive the older son. And, 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 and he treats both sons with the same tenderness. Both sons were far from home. One was geographically far. One, but both were spiritually far. And the father calls them home. He says, come home to me. This is where real life is found. Come home and be renewed. And you know, the invitation is to you and me as well. Come home, he says. Wherever you are, come home. Find contentment in what you've got. Have your eyes open to our responsibilities. Don't go seeking after those things that might not give you what you think they will. Learn to be happy with what God has given us. And let's together make a difference in this world in the name of Christ. Is that okay?